everyone. Welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 148 of the uh, Red Leg Nation podcast. I'm Chad Dotson with you as always and uh, with me again this week. And it's been a couple weeks since uh, since Jason's been with us. Glad to have you back. Uh, every, your friend and mine, Jason Linden. How are you today, Jason? I, I'm splendid and, and so, so happy to be back. I can't even yeah, I'm adequately... So- You've uh, you've been having withdrawals, haven't you? Not been on the podcast for a I have. Weeks. It's hard. It's hard. I miss the sound of your voice, Chad. <laughs> oh man! If I had a nickel for every time I heard that, I would have a nickel. You have me. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, but uh, I am glad to have you back on. And, and one reason we're going to get to some of the things we want to talk about in the podcast today: question of whether Brian Price uh, should stick around. Uh, some reasons that uh, Jason and I have had fun watching this Reds team, but uh, and of course we're probably going to talk at some point about uh, your everyone's favorite uh, Joseph Daniel Vado. But I wanted to begin with a, a piece that Jason had at uh, the Hardball Times. Uh, I guess it's last week, and it was on Ernan Iribaran, Iribaran, Iribar. I don't, I don't know how to say it. Listen to me talk. I, I, I'm a gringo, Jason. That's what they tell me. Um, I don't know what that means, but in uh, Spanish class in college, that's what they called me. Um, so you did a little digging, spoke to him, spoke to some people that know him, spoke to some people uh, in the organization and in other organizations, and uh, put together this profile of Erie Barron. Uh, and of course, he just uh, just brought to the Reds the September uh, the September roster expansion, and has been really fun to watch, but. I really didn't know much about this guy at all, and now I cannot help but root for him uh, every time I see him. Uh, uh, how, how did you how did you land, I guess, on him as a, as a well profile? I mean, that was kind of my thing. I, you know, I, I was credentialed. It was kind of similar to what you said. Like I was I was credentialed at bats games this year, and you know, you come in and you're kind of familiarizing yourself with the roster, and it's like Hernani or Barron, who is this? I don't know who this guy is. I've never heard of him before. And you look at him, and he's like 32. And you know, I mean, anybody who's listening to this podcast knows that if you're 32 and you're still playing minor league baseball, there's something interesting there. Like there just has to be because why are you still in it? Um, and I kept his name was one that kept coming up. You know, everybody liked him. Everybody had nice things to say about him. You know, and it was one of those things where like. Because I guess he was at that age, his name would come up, and people were like, "Man, he's really got a future." Whenever he decides to retire, like you know, and so I was like, "Okay, maybe I should talk to Hernan." So I approached him hold about on, it. And he hold, was, hold, hold on a second, Jason. You, this the, the audio yes. has gotten crazy on us. You sound like you're in a tunnel. What's going on, man? Oh, are you there? Yes. Uh, this is. Does it still sound weird? It sounds really weird i bet that my uh daughter is facetiming someone is what i bet so what what we're probably gonna have yeah let's stop and um i will be right back okay we're back after some technical difficulties there that i cannot blame on Jason, I'm going to have to blame it on my daughter who was FaceTiming. So, Jason, you were about to tell us, you, you were telling us, and we couldn't hear you uh, there for a moment, uh, about how you sort of landed on Ernan Iribaran as a, uh, a profile. And uh, it, it's really interesting. Uh, so why don't, you, why don't you launch back into that for me, please? Okay. So he was, I mean, like I was saying a moment ago, he was uh, – he just kind of came across as somebody who was an interesting story. So many people had things to say about him, and they were all positive. And just the fact of being 32 and in the minor leagues, 
says something interesting. And I, I've always kind of had an interest in sort of the career minor leaguers or the career career role players because it's I mean the story is too easy if you're a star the whole time almost right so so what what's going on if you're not a star why are you sticking with it and so I sat down with him and he was agreeable to it and we talked for a while and it was a really fantastic interview um and he gave me some names and you know I was able to get in touch with like Jeff British from the Rockies the the GM of the Rockies and, and I talked to Delino DeShield so I talked to a bunch about about Hernan and you know it was just kind of that thing where everybody just had good things to say about him and then it just so happened like I mean talk about timing you figure somebody out like oh they might be a good story that he gets called up you know, after not being in the minors or in the majors since 2009, you think it's two that I'm an old man now. It's 2016. 2009 was a long time ago. Yeah, that's when I graduated high school. I know. I know, right? <laughs> Something like, like that. Close. Mid to late 20s now, Chad. <laughs> I know. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. was, and so he gets called up for the first time as a 32-year-old. He gets called up for the first time since 2009. And, you know, I know when I was doing the interview, one of the most heartbreaking moments in it was I asked him, because he had been actually highly touted. He played in the Futures game at one point. Like, he was a prospect. Yeah, he was a legit prospect, asked, yeah, a decade ago. Yeah. And I asked him when he knew that he wasn't anymore, and he talked about the Brewers basically DFAing him on August 30th. And it's like, you know, everybody knows who follows baseball. Call-ups happen on September 1st. So if it's August 30th and people are like, you're going back down, that's hard. And, you know, he, he choked up a little bit about that. Um and so to have that guy then get the call up as a 32-year-old, get added onto the 40-man roster so he can be called up, it was, I mean, it was very much a fairy tale. And, you know, since he's been called up, he's, he's actually played really well. Like, he hasn't had a ton of playing time, but, like, got a couple of triples. He's, you know, it's been fun. Like, he's, it's been really fun, I think, and he's been kind of a good story it was one of those things where it was like i'd been working on this story for like a month or a month and a half and then he kind of started to blow up as a story on his own and it it worked out really well for me you know because it was like hey everybody was like oh look here's this guy and somebody wrote a story about him yeah the so timing the timing time- was perfect really well. yeah yeah uh, and he's just been he's been fun to watch since he got called up he has been and you know he's he's a guy you don't ever uh uh, you know, looking at 32-year-old 30, guys in AAA and saying, are they going to be on the team next year? But, man, I don't know. He's such a fun story. I wouldn't mind him him taking yeah. the number 25 spot on the roster next year and, and, and getting a year in the big leagues. And uh, he plays a few positions, is, I guess. Oh, it's more than a few. Right, yeah, um, everywhere, I, right. It didn't, it didn't fit into my profile, but I can give, give kind of a, a bonus track on this. Um, I think I said, and this is true, he's played every position this year except for catcher. Um, he was Louisville's emergency pitcher, you know, when the things got out of hand, he was the position player who came in. So he pitched on three or four innings this year. Um, but he initially was a second baseman and then he was a second baseman slash outfielder. And I was asking him how he ended up playing everywhere. And he said he came in, this was, you know, I guess I can't remember if it was in Milwaukee or Colorado, you know, in their systems, but he came in one day and the manager was like, can you play short? And he was like, what he thought, he didn't say this, but what he said, what he thought was, I've never played short before ever. And what he said was, yeah, I can play short. <laughs> and so they put him at short and he did okay. He didn't embarrass himself. And then like, I guess a while later, the exact same thing happened at third. You know, they're like, can you play third? And he's like, yeah, I can play third. 
Sure. And so they put him at third. And then this year he got to the point of asking um, when a player got on the bats got hurt, he got to the point of asking uh, DeShields, like, put me at first. First looks fun. Let me play first. I'll play first. Um, and, you know, I'll say this watching him in Louisville. I mean, he's not like mind blowing on defense in any way, but he was very competent as like a center fielder, as a second baseman, as a shortstop, as a third. He wasn't bad anywhere. Like he's got sort of the the range and the basic tools. Like, I mean, you know, he's 32, so who knows? But like you could do worse on your bench, especially because he has this reputation as a guy who is very good at bringing along the young guy. So for somebody who's probably not going to get a ton of playing time, a ton of plate appearances, you know, he might be good in that kind of like Miguel Cairo kind of sit on the bench and be a mentor kind of role. Right. And, and be enthusiastic about being in the big leagues and, 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 yeah. and taking that role. And, and the other part is, you know, yes, he can play a bunch of positions uh, competently, but and he's not going to, he's not going to be a, a starter uh, anywhere, but you know, he handles the bat pretty well too. He did win the uh, batting yeah. crown in the international league. So it's not like he could, you know, he, he might be able to contribute a little bit to, with the bat as well off the bench. And and he knows also, he does know, and I think this is an important thing, he doesn't expect to be a starter. Like, you know, when I talked to him about it, I asked him, you know, why are you still playing? And he's like, because I want to get back to the big leagues. I think I can be a utility guy up there. You know, and it's somebody who can come off the bench. And that's, you know, that's a useful thing. There's a big difference between a utility guy who accepts that that's his role and is completely happy with it and a utility guy who's grouchy because he wants to start. Right. Yeah. And he's the type of guy that, you you know, if he'd have gotten a chance when he was 26 or 27 to, and, 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 you know, gotten 300 at bats in the big leagues and, and had a good run, he probably ends up being one of these guys that sticks around till they're 35 and uh, is a bench guy and a utility guy. And yeah. has, yeah, I mean, you know, he's, he sort of fits that profile. It just didn't happen for him for various reasons, some of which you went yeah, into. Yeah. He was, I mean, he was in Milwaukee for those couple of years. Milwaukee was good. So he was totally blocked. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was just one of those things. Kind of we talked about Jermaine Curtis earlier in the year where Curtis has always hit, always been good, but it's just been blocked by people. Right. Um, and it's kind of the same deal. And, but it's it's fun. It's You know, it's hard. Someone who seems to be as genuinely good a guy as he is, I've ne- not heard a bad word spoken about him yet. You know, it's fun to see a guy like that get a chance. Like, okay, you're back in the big leagues now. Like, you go, you go play. And it's like, you, you know, it's it's kind of... How can you not be excited about that? Yeah, I agree. I agree, and it's uh, one of the things that you and I both sort of like about baseball it, stories. Good, it's a good story. You mm-hmm. know, we love the game, but yeah. the, the stories behind the game are sometimes fun. And and you know, uh, if he if he gets a chance, if he if, if he never plays again in the big leagues after this year, you know, I'm glad he got a shot this year. But you know, on the other hand, I, what's it going to hurt? Is he going to be worse than? Uh, you know, some guys the Reds have had on the bench over the last few years, even on their good teams, you know. Uh, is he going to be worse yeah. than some of those guys? No, I mean, he, he can – I'd be comfortable with him just because he can play anywhere. So, but I, I'm Yeah, real- I mean, and that's, he's extraordinarily versatile. Like, literally anybody gets hurt and you can stick him in. Um, so somebody that, that has – I mean, that's legit value. Yeah, somebody that can play eight positions and uh, and can handle the bat, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't argue about that. Uh, so anyway, glad that uh, that uh, you, the piece you wrote went over well. It was a really, really good, well done uh, the piece, and I'm glad the timing was was good. And I know you got a lot of uh, really good feedback on that. So uh, hey, good job, man! You're a good writer. 
thank you. It was fun. It's <laughs> nice when you do things and people are like, oh, this is good. And you're like, oh, okay, good. Thank you. Uh, right. Occasionally getting that feedback is, is good. Yeah. Tell me I suck. <laughs> right. a tiny break from people telling you how awful you are. Um, yeah. Well, let's get to what I had hoped to sort of be the primary topic here. Maybe not the primary, but uh, the lead topic before we got off on uh, talking about uh, our new favorite player, uh, Erie Barron. And that's Brian Price. You know, we're coming down to the end of the season here, and it's not been the best season in Cincinnati Reds franchise history. It hasn't. Now, have you what? noticed that? Um, I thought they were on track to win like 107 or something. Oh, no, wait, that's the Cubs. What oh, universe right. am I in? Yeah, the Reds were on pace to lose 107 for a, for a while. Um, and, you know, and it's been one disappointment after another, losing all those games in the first half and the bullpen being awful and uh, the Reds not signing Tim Tebow. Sorry, I, I couldn't help myself. Did you notice that the Reds didn't sign Tim Tebow? I don't know if you noticed that. I noticed that Tim Tebow thinks he can play big. What is he, like 29? Oh, man. You take your Erie Barn, and I'm going to take Tim Tebow, okay? And we're going to win the, okay. we're gonna win the flag football game. Um, all right, see, I got... Uh, Maybe. I don't know about his arm. I've been, I've been, maybe I've been obsessed with uh, Billy Hamilton for a little while now, and, and Tebow's starting. To, if Billy Hamilton doesn't get back in the lineup, it's going to be all Tebow all the time here. Um, but anyway, there have been there have been some things, some positives certainly recently. But when when the season's over, uh, Dick Williams is going to take over as general manager full time, and um, he is in name, uh, not name only necessarily right now, but he is going to be the general manager. Um, and he's going to have a big decision to make. I know there are a lot of people out there that think Brian Price needs to be fired. Uh, you know, I think you can make a good argument on both sides of that, whether Price should be brought back or whether he um, should not be. I mean, you know, if they if the if the Reds fire Brian Price, probably not going to be too many people coming to his defense. And, and I don't necessarily think he deserves to be fired. But think about the arguments against him. You know, they lost ninety eight games last year. They're going to lose ninety plus games this year um he has done some crazy things betting brandon phillips third and sitting jose parazza all the time and bringing in olendorf and, and alfredo simon in close games which just baffles me uh, so but we did learn in fairness that remember at the, at the q a that we had at the thing that that, that uh at the meetup that apparently the the Playing a Phillips was an organizational strategy. Well, that's a good point. That's a good point. Because they were like, basically, we hope to trade him in the offseason, and if we bench him, we can't trade him. Uh, or it makes it, uh, well, it does make it impossible to trade him. But, and yeah. the, the hope with playing him, and it may have turned out better than they could have imagined, because uh, by playing him, he may have played himself into having a little bit of value again. Yeah. Because uh, he's, uh, he's been good in the second half. Uh, certainly better than I would have expected for a 98-year-old second baseman. Um, yeah. So well, in that, I was gonna say if I can, I'll kind of go off that for a second. And, and yeah, with with price, I mean, I can see both sides of the argument very well. But it's things like I know I was furious when he was playing Phillips every day. I was just like, "What are you doing? Why are you playing Phillips? Is in the future. You need to sit Phillips down." Well, apparently that wasn't even really his decision. That's a very I mean, that's a valuable point that we sometimes uh, maybe yeah. uh, willfully uh, forget, which is that. There are a lot of things we don't know that are going on behind the scenes. Yeah. So how many things is he doing that he's told to do? How many things is he doing because they're his decision? And, you know, we can't know that. And so it, it makes it a much muddier picture. 
It does. We have imperfect information here, and we can only go on what's public and what's not. And, uh, and, and as long as we acknowledge that there are things that we don't know and can't know, um, I think we can uh, make uh, take take our stand, I guess, based on the available information. The other with Price is that, you know, the poor guy has really not been dealt a full deck of cards or full hand since he got here. Uh, the Reds, they, not just uh, the Reds have unloaded everybody and they've really uh, taken the roster and just uh, d- dismantled it, but injury after injury after injury and, you know, He's really been put behind the eight ball in a long way. So that's what, that's part of the argument for Brian Price getting at least another year is that he's he's really not been given a chance. Uh, he's 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 messed up in some ways, maybe. And not maybe, definitely. I, mean, I don't think he's a great manager. Yeah. Uh, no, but he's, I mean, what was it in your piece that you pointed out today, which was basically that, like, or yesterday, whenever it was, um, he is, like, very much like most major league managers, right? Yeah, I, I think I, I think that we think he's bad sometimes because we watch every single movie makes and we watch him every night. And um, but but think about the things that he does that we disagree with. Uh, you know, we complained, complained, complained about the way he used Aroldis Chapman the last two years. You know, only bringing him in in the ninth to get a three out save, and you know, never using him in any kind of uh, sort of uh, the high leverage situations. And, and that's the point I made. I start when I started thinking. I thought, well, you know what? That's the, we all love Joe Madden, the Cubs manager. He's regarded as the best manager in baseball. That's exactly how he's using Chapman. I mean, it's, that doesn't make it right. But yeah, uh, Chapman. But Price is he is what he is. I mean, he's probably an average manager. I, I just think he's you know, I he, think he I, probably is. Yeah, and and. And the point that I was trying to make in the, in the piece that I wrote for Cincinnati Magazine was, uh, if you can find the guy, a good manager, then you can find this guy that's going to lead them for the next five years for, um, th- you know, through the through the time when we hope they're going to be competitive again. Yeah, go get that guy. But man, you better be very careful. You better be sure you're getting that guy because there are a, a lot of guys that are going to be no better than Price. And once we get get him in here, we're going to watch him every day and realize, oh. Um, or even worse, we're going to have Bob Boone or Jerry Naren or somebody to be worse than Price because Price is not the best manager in baseball, and I would love to have a really good manager. But I tell you what, I've seen a lot worse than him in the last 15 years in Cincinnati. Maybe that's just my yeah. opinion. But I mean, just now while we were talking, I was just curious, and I like to go pull things up. And, you know, this is the kind of thing where having some distance with it now and looking at it, it does it, – I'm, I'm going to just read some stuff off, and it makes it a lot harder for me to blame – blame Brian Price for too much, okay? So this is a series of five games in April, and you tell me of which the Reds lost four. So game one, we have Alfredo Simon pitching. He makes it through all of two-thirds of an inning while giving up five runs. Game two, we get Iglesias, who who throws too many pitches, five innings, three runs. Um, Game three, Tim Melville... Makes it through three innings, gives up seven runs. The immortal Tim Melville. Right. Game four, Brandon Finnegan makes it through five innings, gives up four runs. And then game five, John Moscott makes it through 5.2 innings, giving up three runs. And all of these guys are throwing, like, you know, with the exception of the Simon and two-thirds of an innings, they're throwing, like, 100 pitches, so they're throwing too many pitches. Well, what what is he supposed to do? Like, he doesn't make a roster. Yeah, how's he that his fault? He can't get by with, like, 
Yeah, when when the most you can get out of a starting pitcher is five innings, of course your bullpen's going to be a mess. Right, and then yeah. and well, like, the pitchers he had down there were largely a mess as well anyway. He didn't have anybody yeah, to choose like, from. It's not his fault that, like, he, that, J, that he has to have J.J. Hoover as a go-to guy. That's not his fault. Right, that's who, that's who he was given. Um, yeah. And so, and I don't want to, I don't want to, sound like I'm defending Brian Price that much because he he drives me crazy too. He does things that just yeah. drive me insane. Um, and I don't think he's necessarily a top-shelf manager. But, you know, I don't think it's that hard to make an argument for him getting at least one one more year. Uh, you know, the Reds have, with the exception of maybe one game recently, they've played hard and they're, you know, fourth-best record in the National League since the break. Um, you know, and, and that is what it is. Uh, the season yeah. didn't start on July 11th, but you know, since then the Reds are have a winning record. We can pretend, Chad. <laughs> we and in in order to preserve our sanity, we may need to pretend. But uh, you think about uh, he he won't get crazy with his bullpen rolls, and he doesn't. He has these strict rolls, and he sticks with them, and it's frustrating. But you know, he he's batted Joey Votto number two in the lineup. What other managers yeah. would have done that? You know, I mean, that's something we all sort of clamored for. Um, and, and the other thing that is, he's he's leading us into this rebuilding process, and I want to know your opinion on this, because it looks to me an awful lot like a lot of the, the young guys for the Reds that he's supposed to be helping to usher uh, into the big leagues, looks like there's a lot of young guys that are taking some steps forward. You know, uh, you get your pitchers, uh, Finnegan and Lorenzen and Iglesias, when they've been healthy. Uh, Straley, he's not necessarily that young anymore, 27. Uh, Dee Sclafani. Uh, I think about Billy Hamilton and Tucker Barnhart and Eugenio Suarez. You know, I think with the exception of maybe Cody Reed, um, who he barely had, he, you know, he had for just a couple of months or something, uh, there's a lot of young guys that have taken some step forwards, and if you can't judge him on that, he doesn't get all the credit for that, maybe very little of the credit. But uh, he's certainly, I don't think, been a roadblock to the Reds progressing or their young guys becoming uh, part of the part of the system uh, on the big league level. Am I, am I, am I off there? Yeah. Or is there a case to be made? No, I don't, I don't think you are. And I think what it comes down to is this. Everybody was willing to blame him for the Reds being terrible when we knew they were going to be terrible. I don't care who you have managing that they were going to be terrible. So then we have, don't we have to give him a fair chunk of the credit then for when they're good? And since the second half started, they've been good. I mean, you don't even have to put a qualifier on it. Like, since the All-Star game, they've been a good baseball team. That's because they have Joey Votto. And it's not Brian Price. It's Joey Votto. It's, Joey yeah. Votto. Um, it's a lot of Joey Votto. But, you know, like I said, you're going to blame, blame Brian Price when they're bad. Give him some credit when they're good. And, and amazingly, they started getting good when people started getting healthy. And some of the young guys started coming up and filtering through, and he, you were able to replace some of the the roster filler it's, with with actual guys. Isn't it funny that when you have better players, your baseball team tends to play better? It is funny. It is funny. Yeah. So um, uh, that makes me think: it's how much of this can you blame on the manager? Maybe not a lot. Um, well, let me ask you this: here's here are your three options, and this is the way I proposed it in the, in the piece that I wrote. Uh, three options here, and I want you to be the general manager. Your three options are you sign Price to a multi-year extension to manage the club, and, and most managers want a multi-year deal if they can get it. You offer him a one-year deal. That's option number two, thinking that he, you know, he, he doesn't have a whole lot of leverage and nobody else is begging for his employment, so he'll probably take a one-year deal. Or you 
say thank you, appreciate it, and uh, send him on his way. What do you do if you're the general manager? Well, if I'm the general manager, presumably I have a, a decent grasp of what's going on among the players and in the organization. But just looking at it from what I, I've seen, I probably go the one-year deal route, and I probably tell him that I'm aware that he hasn't exactly been playing with a full deck this whole time and that we're going to give him a year with a full deck and see what we do. And if he comes through, he can stick around a while. And if he doesn't, well, then maybe it's time to move on. Yeah, I think it's a uh, – that's, that's sort of where I go. First of all, we got to know, and, and you and I don't know, the situation in the clubhouse. It, has, he lost, has he lost the team? Are there things there that would uh, maybe – it would lead you to believe that he's going to harm the rebuilding process next year. That could be. I don't see any of that on the outside, but we don't know. Uh, so what I do is I conduct a very quiet managerial search right now. I, I get I, I try to find five names of guys that I think are are upgrades, and I reach out quietly. I see if there's any uh, chance that we can make an upgrade at the managerial spot. Um, but I lean towards saying, "Hey, I'm going to give you a a, a one year contract." And meanwhile, during this one year, he's going to take it. Price would take a, a one year extension. There's no question in my mind. During that one year, I'm continuing that to, to revise that list and, and keeping my feelers out. But at the same time, I'm, I'm telling Price, I'm giving you a legitimate shot to earn uh, this position yeah. going forward. And and and, I, and that's not just uh, uh, not just words. I, I think that. You give him a legitimate shot with a real roster to earn it, but at the same time, you're doing your homework. You're you're creating this list and revising it. You're trying to figure out who might be the next guy in case he doesn't do it. Um, I, I think you can do both at the same time. I think you can try to find your next good manager while also giving him a legitimate shot to prove that he's that guy. Because I, I don't really know whether he's that guy because he's not had a team yet, and so maybe next year we'll get a lot more a uh, lot more data. Yeah, I completely agree. All right, I love when you completely agree. Um, let's talk about something we disagree about. Joey Votto, he's awful. He hit, no, he's the best. <laughs> That's right, I, I mispronounced best. Uh, man, he's only hitting three eighteen right now, though. You know, his OPS is just nine sixty one. You know, I, I assume you probably saw this, but I like on Twitter. I, I said, "How is that?" He was hitting two thirteen on May thirty first. And now he's like, what is he? He's like third or fourth in the league in batting average. He's second in the NL in OPS. Yeah, yeah. And he was, I mean, at the, we're, we're not talking about three bad weeks at the beginning of the season. We're talking about two months where he was just not good. And, yeah. And now, even including that time, he's still among the best hitters in the league. Fourth. He's fourth in the league in batting average <laughs> and second in in OPS. It, it, That's just insane. It, it's completely insane, and it, it boggles the mind to think what where his numbers would be if he'd been just average for those first couple months. If he hadn't have been, yeah. uh, he'd be he'd be he wouldn't win the MVP for the same reasons that Mike Trout is not going to win an MVP again, which is uh, ludicrous in the American League um, because Joey Votto has bad teammates. Um, yes, or his team has a. But he would be record. in the conversation. Yeah, he would be in the conversation, which is just. <laughs> Uh, you know, his age 32 season, he, he just turned 33, um, but in baseball terms, his age 32 season and showing no signs of slowing down. And 
and and if you're not expecting uh, that he's going to have an age-related decline, well, you're wrong. But boy, he's showing every sign that because of the way he approaches his craft, that he's at least going to be able to push it off a little bit and and delay that age-related yeah. decline. Or you hope so, anyway, right? One, one, yeah. And one of the things I've started looking at now is kind of that because I just you know this year for a few months now he's been kind of like not a few months, a few weeks, I guess. He's been kind of holding his numbers eerily close to his career levels, like. Career 312 batting average, he's 318 right now. Career 424 on base percentage, he's 433 right now. Career 533 slugging percentage, he's 521, 529 right now. Like, you can't get closer to that. Um, so it's like, it's like, man, you know, he's he's 32. Like, Major League Baseball players are supposed to peak when they're 28. So if you're still producing in career norms, that's pretty good um, at, at 32. So, you know, I was looking, and among age... 31 in his 31 and 32 seasons which is when he hasn't he's since he's been healthy again he's had the only red in history who's hit better than he has at that age is joe morgan joe morgan was good joe morgan was good <laughs> so but you look at that and all of a sudden it, it does it gets real easy to imagine a 35 year old Votto who is you know maybe probably not where he is now but is still not somebody that you worry about right yeah like he's out there He's probably OPSing around 900. Like, that's not hard to imagine. And and probably putting up maybe four wins above replacement for a season. Like, all right. There are a whole lot of teams who would love love that from the first baseman. Absolutely. And, and he's always had what we often call uh, old old player skills, you know. And so yeah. uh, you think about a guy like Ryan Howard who got that big contract and just his decline was precip- precipitous. Uh, yeah. Votto has different uh, different approach at the plate and just different skills uh, that makes you think he can maybe withstand that a little bit more. And and, and even like Joe Morgan, as, as we've seen, as Joe Morgan aged and got closer to 40, he was still able to get on base and put up a, yeah. a, a good on-base percentage. And there's no reason to think Joey Votto is not going to be able to do that, even when his, uh, he gets a little older and the power starts to go, as it does with everyone at a certain point. Yeah. Well, and did you see that? Um, it was yesterday or the day before there was this – beyond the box score piece that went up that showed how basically Votto has just stopped striking out now. Yes. Yeah. Since the second half, saw, he's striking out like 10% of the time. I saw that. It's just, and, 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 you know, it came on the heels of, we, we all know that big, the story that uh, came out about that. I don't remember who he was giving the interview to maybe Hal McCoy. I, I don't remember about how he went through the baseball reference logs of Willie Mays and uh, some of these guys, Derek Jeter, I think was one who got off to really bad starts and came back and, and he realized, Hey, they, they stopped striking out. I can do it. And he, and he did, he stopped yeah. striking out. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's, it's, I love that Joey Votto just decides things <laughs> like that. Like, I, I guess I'll just not strike out anymore, and then he just doesn't. He's just on a different level than everybody else. I, I'm looking at his second half stats now, and I've looked at his second half stats a hundred times, and they, they never fail to just blow me away. He, you know, we're talking 55 games here, and he's still hitting yeah. 418 in the second half. His on base percentage 504 over 55 games, fully a third of the season. He's gotten getting on base over half the time. <laughs> That's OPS eleven fifty nine OPS. I mean, it's just uh, it, it it it's mind boggling. Since Ju- since June first, which has been my favorite, three seventy seven four eighty eight six hundred. Wow, wow, Mike, and wow. that's three and a half months. That's three and a half yeah. months. That's more than half the season. It's 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 
389 plate appearances. And and I, what I love about him is he's so introspective and he really pays attention to the the data and he's constantly trying to make even incremental improvements in his approach and the way he handles himself. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, choking choking up more now than ever, and, and you know his reasons for that. Um, as he said, was you know he's trying to it helps him get the barrel on the ball. It's not just that he's trying to you know make contact and put the ball in play. It helps him get the barrel on the ball closer to his body, which is where he hits the ball best. I mean, he's got. He's got three or four different levels of thinking going on, uh, as opposed to most guys who are up there see the ball, hit the ball. It just most people can't think those things uh, when they get to the plate, and he's thinking uh, three or four different things. He's just he's a special guy. You and I've said it before. We're probably going to say it over and over. But man, you got if you're listening to this and you don't appreciate what he's doing, just watch the guy because you're seeing somebody that's doing things that you may never see again in your life in terms of someone wearing a Reds uniform and doing this. Best hitter in franchise history. Well, second and best. He, I mean, you know, Billy Hamilton is probably the best, but. I mean, you know, the, the thing, that, and I will just keep repeating it, the only play active player who has definitively been a better hitter for his career right now is Mike Trout. <laughs> Mike Trout is uh, going to end up being, like, if, if he doesn't get hurt, going to end up being one of the two, three best players of all time. Yeah. Like, like Votto and Cabrera are kind of like two and two A. It kind of depends on which of them has had a better week. Right. When you look at the numbers, who's in front of the other one? But it's basically Mike Trout and then Joey Votto, and it's like, well, that's not bad company, <laughs> right? Yeah, what you're saying is, well, Joey Votto's probably not, you know, Willie Mays uh, as a hitter, yeah, you know, or uh, uh, you yeah. know, may, he may He's not be probably... Ted Williams, but right. <laughs> yeah, there's a pretty long step down from there uh, where you got a lot of good players in between. So, oh, yeah. Joey. Um, well, let me ask you this. Let's say we had Joey in, in the Reds lineup. We had Billy Hamilton getting on base at a 330 clip. And we had, you know, batting in between them, Votto batting third, Hamilton first, and we had Tim Tebow batting second. Would that be the best lineup in the history of baseball, a, a new big red machine, or am I way off base? I think it would be third behind the big red machine and the 27 Yankees. The mur- Murderer's Row, yeah. We'd have to come up with a good nickname for, uh, for that bunch. Um all right, whatever. Uh, you had a fun piece at uh, Red Leg Nation uh, this week as well that I thought would be a good discussion for us to get into uh, before we wrap it up here. And, and and we kind of already started talking about it. And the premise of your piece was, I had fun. It's been a bad season, but there's there are certain things that have been fun about this year. And you know what? Uh, we just went, uh, number one on your list, we just went over at Ad Nauseam, uh, Joey. But uh, I appreciate yeah. I appreciated that piece because I'm I'm always trying to find even in bad seasons angles things that, that, to be positive about, and you did that. Um, other than Votto, yeah, I, what else is there? Well, I was going to say I think I've kind of come to the conclusion that you know having been a baseball fan for a really long time now, the least fun seasons are the ones where they're just good enough to give you hope but not deliver at all. So it's like the teams that win like 79 games right. where there are probably a couple stretches in the season where you start to get hopeful and then they just, and then they just crush your hope. Um, whereas like a team that you know is going to be bad, it's just like, all right, they're going to stink. Okay, let's, what, let's find something interesting about it. And so Votto, you know, he had those first two months and, and the trolls came out and were like, oh, Votto, he sucks. And it's like, and then he was like, actually, no, actually, I'm still the best hitter in the universe. 
And uh, and that was nice. I didn't. I don't think I mentioned Billy Hamilton, probably because I really feel like you should be in charge of mentioning Billy <laughs> Hamilton. But <laughs> yeah, he, he's sure been fun to watch. Um, you know, watching Suarez really come around in the second half, watching Desclafani really come around since he's been back. My my favorite thing to do right now, though, and this was, I think, the thing I ended with, was to just fantasize about the lineup at the end of next season. Because I can imagine three of the top four hitters in that lineup having on-base percentages above, like, 360. Like, if you get, like, say, Hamilton, Winker, Votto, Senzel, some in some kind of order like that, there's, I just, wow. if Nick Senzel pans out, and I feel like he seems like a sure thing as you can get, I just can't believe that that lineup doesn't score runs. Right. The, the, and yeah. it's just, so it's fun to think about. You get them, and then you plug Suarez in somewhere, and then you got Peraza, and, you know, it just, it doesn't take long to be like, all right, I can talk myself into that team <laughs> yeah. um, without a lot of effort. And in a lot of ways, I think you hit the nail on the head. That's been the uh, the reason why this season has been, in some ways, uh, not just endurable, but uh, kind of fun because you do get to imagine that. And and it's not just a pipe dream. These are real names, real people that are really performing in the minor leagues yeah. and uh, and some on the major league level uh, making improvements. And, uh, you know, it, 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 hope. Hope's a dangerous thing, you know. That's what uh, – hope's the worst thing is what uh, Morgan Freeman said in uh, Shawshank Redemption. Um, but uh, for us this year, because this is really the first year – that I can recall where the Reds really kind of admitted going into it. We don't have a chance. Okay. We're rebuilding. This is going to be a bad year. And so you're not expecting it. Last year they tried to pretend and we, you know, kind of wanted to believe we were skeptical, but wanted to believe. And I know you remember this, but was there anything worse than those like mid two thousands teams where every year they insisted that they were going to compete and then they would win like seventy four games. Right, they put up runs and, and had no pitching, and it was just. And it, but what that did was, yeah, it, it break your heart every year because you think you you, yeah. you 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 talk yourself into believing, well, this could go right and this could go right, and you know we could do this. Um, yeah, but but they never could. <laughs> no. They never pulled it off. And really, and it was like well, in hindsight, you're like, God, why didn't they just scrap it all one year and start over yeah. like they should have done, which is what they're doing now. And people getting mad about that. But in some ways this year, I think uh, it's certainly been more uh, entertaining uh, as a Reds fan than uh, than last year, 2015, and then 2014 as well, both of those years. And I think you can almost make an argument that in some ways it's been better for my mental health than 2013. Although if you're going to give me a choice, I'm going to take 2013 where they you know snuck into that second wild card and – uh, we're competitive. Yeah. I'll take that. But man, that was a frustrating year. Uh, you could tell the window uh, of opportunity for competing was closing, and it it was just a it was hard to appreciate what they were accomplishing, given what they had accomplished the three years previous. Uh, but uh, so in some mm-hmm. ways, I, well, that was year too, and I know you saw this too, where it's just like that was probably the year I blocked the most people on Twitter. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean. It's the equivalent of like, you know, I mean, I know we both know this. You can stand on the street and give away ice cream and people will complain about the flavor. (laughs) Um, But it was like they were a good baseball team. They weren't like maybe as good as they had been, but people were just so grumpy about that team. 
And I was just like, what? Why do you watch baseball? Yeah, I, I couldn't win 90 games. Like, I think every one, of our, every one of our writers at Red Lake Nation at some point at the end of that season but try to make a point uh, to say, are, are you kidding? We just went through this 10-year uh, stretch before this, uh, the last few years where the Reds had no chance. Here we're a 90-plus yeah. win team, and yeah, we're not winning the division. Okay, we're not as good as 2012's division-winning team, which is probably the best team. Not probably. It was the best team of the, the recent run of good Reds teams. No, yes. they weren't that good. But, man, they, they, you know, they're in the playoffs. Come on. Yes. I take that now. But you're right. Everybody was just miserable, it seemed like. I don't get it. I, st- I still don't get it. They made me miserable. I don't. I really don't. So, uh, so, so having some hope this year of uh, you know not pretending we're going to compete and having some hope next year. And you're right, Nick Sinzel, he's not a sure thing. But man, if he stays healthy, I I cannot believe he's not going to be. Um, first yeah. of all, I, I think he'll be in, in the big leagues at some point next year, and I think he's going to be an on base machine. Jesse Winker, that's what he does. He gets on base. Uh, Joey Votto. Yeah, does, the consensus. The, the consensus pretty quickly on Nick Sinzel has become that he'll be ready at some point next year. And it's just if you have the second pick in the draft and that doesn't pan out, something's gone wrong. Right, right, yeah. And and, and so far, you know, yeah, and, and like you said, yes, he's just an A-ball right now. But, man, uh, you could not have asked for more out of him in his first taste of professional baseball. So so maybe not next year, but the, the following opening day, Billy Hamilton, Jesse Winker, Joey Votto, Nick Senzel, one, two, three, four. Yeah. Uh, that is a team that will score runs. Yes, I don't know who the other uh, you know uh, who who else is going to be playing in the outfield. It may be Duvall or Shebler still in a couple of years. I hope they've upgraded over those two. Although I, you know, I'm not. I know you're anti. Uh, some people claim on Twitter that you're anti Duvall, uh, Duvall hater. Um, I'm just a Duvall rationalist. <laughs> yeah, I, I, right. I, I think I think either Duvall or Shebler could be a guy. You know, they Shebler are more likely than Duvall, but I would agree. Like it's 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 possible. I, um, it's, I'm of, of the same mind. You know, I've kind of wondered recently. The Reds have they've actually hit that point where they have so many pitching prospects, and I've started to wonder maybe do you package somebody with Zach Cozart this winter and get yourself a little outfield bat? Yeah, maybe it's time. Yeah, that was part of the idea you know, for maybe. getting so many pitchers. Uh, you got some assets. Um, I'm with you, I think, uh, and that's strange to say because Duvall, he's got 30, 30, I mean, 30 home runs, 31, whatever he's got now. Um, and had just a uh, – you can't complain about what Duvall's been able to do this year. And he's a – you know, he, play, he plays pretty good defense. I like Duvall, all-star. And you talk about stories, that's a fun story. Uh, but he is, is a fun story. But he is 28, and, um, you know, I, I think Shebler is probably more likely to be a, a adequate yeah. solution there. But even Shebler is not going to be – Anything more than an average? The thing, yeah. The thing about Duvall, and it's like it's almost become a thing. I'm, I'm half trolling people here when I bring this up at this point. I'm just trying to get a rise out of people. But he was really good in May, and then the league adjusted. And since May, since June 1st, I'm looking at his numbers, 229 batting average, 293 on base percentage, 457 slugging. That's not getting done. No, and, and uh, he's – slightly above average for the season in his numbers. And you're right, it's, it's yeah. a lot of that's based on a really, really good month. Uh, since May. Yeah. Like, since his hot May, he has not been a, a good hitter. And I think that um, 
probably he just turned 28, and, and counting on him to, he may be able to sustain this level of performance, maybe for a couple of years. I think. For a year or two. Yeah, it's possible um, that he's not going to kill you in the and and with what we've had in left field for the last few years, he's actually let's not. Uh, you know, take, take for, yeah, let's not take for granted what he's been able to provide. He does have 30 home runs, 89 RBIs. Those are some, but you know he's 295 on base percentage. Shebler, you know he got he had the the, the good game to begin uh, when he got called back up right after Bruce and he had the walk off home run and he was miserable for a little while. But his numbers are not that far off of what Duvall's are when you look at his uh, slash numbers. Other than the slow, um, he's had kind of an inverse season to what Duvall had where he did get that initial shot where he wasn't very good. Right. Uh, you know, he, he got his shot and very quickly got sent down and he got called back up on, I had to look and see on August 2nd. Let's see what's he hit since August 2nd. He has hit, I think it's pretty good. Yeah. 279, 357, 436. <laughs> yeah. Pretty good. I'll take that. And, and, yeah. And, and what's unstated there is Scott Shebler is 25. And what is Scott Shebler? You're a big Louisville Bats guy. What did he do when he was at Louisville? Um, he destroyed the base. Yeah, he was insane. Oh, like he had a grudge against <laughs> Right. Like, and so you take a, a 25-year-old that put up these crazy numbers um, yeah. at Triple at A. You think that's – and he's not going to be a superstar. But if, if you want a guy that's going to play for the next three or four years and not kill you in the outfield, if you can't find an upgrade – yeah. I, I can't believe I'm saying that because we're talking about Adam Duvall, who has 30 home runs and who was an all-star and was home run derby and has played hard, and I've got no problems with Adam Duvall. I'm not like you. I'm not a Duvall yeah. hater. Uh, but if, if you give me those two to choose from for the next three years and I have to play one of those in my outfield for the next three years, your best-case scenario is to have one of those guys on the bench um, as a yeah. power bat and you've upgraded. But if I have to have one of those two guys, I can, I can live with Scott Shebler. Yeah, I mean, and it's just, it's the age thing, mostly. I mean, we can talk about and argue about plate discipline, but it's just that he's younger. Like, right. So there's still at least a little bit of theoretical room for growth, and so... Yeah, they're, they're kind he, of the same player now, but one's younger. Yeah, yeah, they're very similar now, but one is younger. So you take always take the younger guy. Right. What um, and, and what if Shebler does pan out? Then you got Shebler and Peraza... Uh, or the guys that came over in the uh, Frazier deal, right? The Todd Frazier trade. And Frazier, yeah. we, we love Todd Frazier, but he's been awful uh, largely he's been this year. Hurt. Yeah, he's really been bad. I That's, mean, uh, yeah, he, he has. He's just been – the Reds, I, you know, say what you want. The Reds continue to have trades work out. We we talk about how they, they, they missed on the Chapman deal, and they traded Chapman at the l- bottom of his, uh, his value, I think, on the trade market. But it looks an awful yeah. lot like they traded Todd Frazier. Maybe not at the absolute peak. The absolute peak might have been right after the home run derby last year, but pretty close to the yeah. peak. Um, and maybe got some maybe got some valuable pieces in return for a guy that was getting ready to fall off the cliff. Yeah. And, you know, it's. I think one of the things that was said to me at one point covering Bats games, and it was just in casual conversations, I'm not like sort of trying to quote anyone, which is that, the media, the way the media portrays things that matter isn't how Major League Baseball teams work. So, you know, the stuff that kind of we will delve into on, say, like Red Leg Nation, where we're talking about, you know, 
Todd Frazier is this age. He, he stands to decline. You know, he's not a good bet for a long-term signing, things like that. Other major league teams also know this and think this way. And so they're not giving you Mike Trout for Todd Frazier. No matter how much people may love the fact that Todd Frazier hit home runs and it was pretty for a little bit, you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna get somebody else's entire farm system for Todd Frazier because they know that he's not worth that. And and so you know the fact that the Reds did manage to trade him at a time when other teams were were able to talk themselves into his values. And into his value and get some quality, you know, some quality return in, in Peraza and, and, and Shebler, like, okay, like, good. That's, that's great. And, and, but the flip side of that is you can really understand how Joe fan out there, they're really not as deep into the weeds as you and I tend to get. Um, I don't know why every fan's not listening to this just scintillating conversation we have on the podcast, but they, they don't. And they see a guy, Todd Frazier, who, uh, two-time All-Star, home run derby champ, and just one of the greatest moments in Reds history, uh, that home run derby. And, and a guy that... Reds, I don't know about that, Chad. Uh, it's, that's, it's a, it's, I think it's a piece of trivia is what that is, a long term. No, well, maybe, but that was a moment <laughs> where... Uh, well, let me just say this. I was, in the, I was in the stadium, and it was much louder than it was on Clinchmas when Bruce hit the home run to uh, clinch uh, the 2010 division championship. Well, there were probably at least 10 or 12 actual Reds fans there, right, who hadn't got tickets from there. It was, it, it, it was a moment. I'm not saying that there's any value to win it, but it was a, it was a moment. It was, it was something special. And, uh, and I'll argue that with you if you want. I think it's uh, certainly one of the top. I'll, I'll grant. I'll yield. <laughs> but, yield. But, but the point is, uh, the regular fan out there sees this guy who had this big special moment, and we can argue whether it's uh, uh, really that special, but it was a special moment for for the average fan. And you get who? Jose Peraza, a, a prospect that a couple teams have given up on. Who? Scott Shebler. Who's that? And I can see why the average fan thinks, why didn't we get the next Mike Trout for Todd Frazier? He's awesome. But you're right. Major League teams are, by and large, not dumb. And, um, you know, the, the reason why we talk about Shebler and Duvall and saying, well, you know, they may only be, for the next two or three years, maybe we can live with them, is the same reason we said about Frazier. Might be time to, to move on. Frazier debuted in the Major Leagues late, and so those are the guys that don't necessarily have a long career of being productive. Uh, Chris Sabos, who I could compare him to, uh, I was. Uh, late, late. Sabo was going to be the next name out of my mouth, where yeah. it's like, he was really good for a few years, one of my favorite players when I was a kid. Oh, me too. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's not great. Right, you have, have a really good uh, pick, and then a really steep decline. It just, we, it's happened a, a million times over the course of baseball history. So, And unfortunately, uh, even though I still like uh, uh, Frazier, it looks like that's what's happening with him. So. Uh, if the Reds got two pieces, then you got to say, hey, kudos to them. Two pieces that can help the next good Reds team. And yeah. they traded Frazier right before he fell off the cliff. Great job. Um, all right, so you're right. There, there's hope, and, and there are reasons that we've had some fun this year. Uh, Eugenio Suarez is another guy you mentioned. I'm, I'm telling you, you and I have both written about Suarez recently. Man, uh, they got him for pretty much free. 
you know, trade with the uh, yeah. Alfredo Simon trade with the with the Tigers, and he's uh, you and I both agree that we got all these in, middle infield and uh, prospects, and we got Nick Senzel, the third base prospect, and uh, the Reds have sort of loaded up on some of these infield prospects. But hey, Suarez is the one guy out of that group that has actually produced on the big league level. I'm I'm bullish on Eugenio Suarez. I'm a big fan. Uh- I am too, and I have been since he came over. Like, I, not that I knew much about him, but he, they got him in the trade, and I went and looked him up, and I was like, "Well, these are pretty good numbers, <laughs> you know." Like, he, he can take a walk, which is something I look for because the Reds have been bad about acquiring guys like that, and and he started to come around with that. And then, you know, he had such a, a dismal May this year, but it's hard now to just not to wonder how much of that was them basically throwing him into the fire and being like, "Hey, go play third in the major leagues, and it's like, that's kind of messed with your head a little bit. Yeah, he did. And he kind did. of about... He never played third base anywhere other than the Venezuelan uh, Summer League. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> so about the time, like, he got comfortable out there, he started to hit. Funny how that works. And, and what else did he do? He started to play defense. He's good at third base now. Yeah, he's good at third base now. <laughs> so. And so it's like, all right, I you know, I believe in it. I, like, I believed in him before, but I really believe in him now. Like... God, if he can get on base three at a three forty and and play decent third, yeah, I, 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 well, great, and, right? We we talk about we love Nick Senzel's uh, you know potential. We love Jose Peraza. I think both of you and I agree that Peraza's got a chance to be a good uh, shortstop, maybe in the big leagues. And and Dilson Herrera comes highly touted, the guy they got for Jay Bruce from the Mets. But Suarez is twenty four years old, and even with that miserable May, he's roughly a league average hitter this year at age 24 and and a good defensive player as it turns out and you know he's a guy that's he's the one of those four infield prospects that has actually produced on the big league level so i don't know where his position is going to be long term but he uh, has earned a, a chance to be not just in the conversation but right at the forefront of that conversation over the next two or three years i, I think i agree and i think one of the things about the current crop of prospects is Based on what I've seen and then based on looking at the numbers, I'm not saying that, that both of these guys will bust or that one of them definitely will, but I would say that Peraza and Herrera are definitely the highest risk prospects right now. I can see them really working out and being great contributors, and I can see one or the other of them really just not panning. Right. And and the nice thing about Suarez is right now you put him second, short, third, left, or right, and I'm not complaining. Yeah, you got. Let's say we got four people for second base, uh, shortstop, and third base. You've got Senzel, Suarez, Herrera, Peraza. If you're right, one of the two of uh, uh, Peraza and Dilson Herrera don't pan out, uh, or you know they've got a chance they won't pan out. If they don't, you still got three guys to fill three spots, and three guys that I think can be uh, really, really solid contributors on the big league level. So another reason to yeah, be, and that's something. Yeah, well, that's something the Reds have done good is good at lately is is have a, a a bunch of guys so that all of your eggs are not in one basket. If somebody doesn't work out, there's somebody else there. Yep, if they can figure out catcher and figure out uh, that last outfield spot, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it could be fun the next uh, next couple of years uh, in in Red Leg Nation. So we're we're about out of time here, Jason. Anything else you want to talk about really quickly? Um, no, I think I'm good. Okay, you are good, Jason. You're very good. Um, Red Leg Nation Radio is the name of this podcast. This is episode number 148. 
really appreciate you downloading, listening to us. If you'll subscribe, want to subscribe via uh, iTunes or whatever your podcast uh, device is, appreciate that. If you subscribe, you get every episode when it's as soon as it's released. You know, go to iTunes if if you would. I say this every week, and leave us a review or a rating if you don't mind. It really helps us uh, open us up to other uh, listeners. And of course, if you have friends that want to want to listen to us, uh, pass us along. Say, hey, listen to this podcast. But as I always say, only do that if you like us. If you don't like us, first of all, why have you listened this far? And, and second of all, just keep your mouth shut. Uh, Jason is at Jason Linden. J-A-S-O-N-L-I-N-D-E-N on Twitter. He's a good follow, if for nothing else, than his morning Coffee with Votto segments. Uh, where you get to just marvel over what Joey Votto does. I'm Dotson C, at Dotson C on Twitter, uh, at Red Leg Nation, and, of course, uh, RedLegNation.com, where we've been following the Reds every single day, for better or for worse, for more than a decade, and uh, no, no end in sight, I hope. Jason, buddy, really appreciate you coming on again. I'm going to get you on again as soon as possible because it's always fun. It is a good time, sir. Always a good time, yes. I like that, sir. You need to start showing me some respect. I'm Chad Dotson for my good buddy, Jason Linden. So long, everyone. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.